You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike and here, host, back with another episode. Uh, this is part four of our four-part series of, um, well, with the uh, with 988, Oklahoma mental health number. Um, we had Carrie on twice, and then we had Shamika on. Um, three great stories and taught a lot of awesome lessons, a lot of practical lessons about mental health in Oklahoma. And today I have Chief Communications Officer uh, from the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health, Mental Health and Substance Abuse, Mr. Heath Hayes. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. I apologize for the amount of rearranging and stuff that we've done to make this happen, but we're finally here. Yes, so, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, so we've just been chatting a little bit before. Uh, we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl and a very famous... Um, let's say, performer, I think, actor, actress, singer, Oklahoman, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, product of Oklahoma City University. She's on the wall here at the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and was in a, a pretty pretty impactful Super Bowl commercial for you guys. So I think it's, let's start with that. Tell me yeah, about that. I think we even recorded it across the street. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Because we ate lunch here when we broke okay. upstairs yeah, yeah. with her. Oh, how Like, it was, was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, any day... Um, in Oklahoma, or every year in Oklahoma, we have. Just move that. You're good. Okay. Yep. Every day in Oklahoma, we see about 860 folks die by suicide every year, and one is too many. And so, right. how do we get life-saving services out to folks? And um, 988 is one of those, you know, revolutionary ways in which we've changed how people access mental health treatment services, um, both for yourself and for people that you are in your loved ones or your coworkers or something um, close to you. It's a one-stop shop information to be received. And so when we talk about how do we get this out to folks, uh, how do we get um, the biggest bang for our, our dollars in terms of communication around it, um, Super Bowl ad was one of those pie-in-the-sky uh, dreams. And 
you know, we actually made it happen and leveraged the relationship of a well-known Oklahoman and, and, and took a risk on how to, how do you even communicate this in a way that's engaging? And so using humor is always um, a risky attempt at things, especially something with, that is serious. And I think she did a fantastic job in portraying yeah. a burden and it played into her personality. It plays into her skill set, and just the team putting it together and, I mean, it's just, I'm still pinching myself today. And today's my birthday. Oh, so it's even, birthday. it's even like a better kind of high, if you will, yeah. uh, off of this. And so, um, yeah, we're, we've really appreciated all of the support around it. So, yeah. So tell me about that filming day then. You get to hang out with Christian Chenoweth and, yeah. you know, to have her do a thing and being the role that you're in, like it's pretty important for you to be around and communicate what's going, out, yeah. going on here. So talk about so that. We, so basically we rented a house across the street and um, started at six o'clock in the morning and we had to get her all of the filming that needed to be done. She prefers to do it within 24 hours in one day. Um, and so that was kind of made the team nervous and the production folks. And uh, but they all, we, we were able to to pull it off. So she sat down hair and makeup at six o'clock. She had three different wardrobe changes. Um, was the most loving, fun, easygoing person to work with. Um, and we were just. She probably did a. And took the direction really well. So she probably did like a thousand takes in this one moment. Um, and she had no problem doing it. No problem doing it. And was just really excited about it. And then after the fact has really embraced her now potential role in, in being a mental health advocate, not only in Oklahoma, but there's so much interest that we've received outside of the state from being able to, to do this and such good feedback. Um, so we'll see what this, what's the next evolution of this relationship. Yeah. 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 You get to see a master at work, yeah. right? Like she's a, a true professional and I'm not surprised that she likes to do everything in one day because yeah. she's extremely busy, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is great. But like, yeah, you get to see her, you know, and, and any actor you're up close, just do the, do their thing. Right. And you get mm -hmm. to witness that. And it's very, I mean, just a personal experience for you, what an experience, right? Not many yeah. people can say that they've got to see that up close, you know, mm -hmm. of an actor on on set, on stage, doing their thing, right? Yeah. And seeing their craft and, like, how every take is different or not different, but they just, to us, they probably look the same. Yeah. And then to her, she's like, no, I've got to change this and do it. I guess, yeah. what an experience, man. That must have been uh, special. For I have sure. a definite new respect for actors in general. Yeah. Um, just, it's exhausting having to, like, make your face look a certain way so many times it's like wow I'm exhausted hearing the director tell you to do it again and again and again yeah so so cool so the reaction you know obviously we're only a day away you know day after the Super Bowl um, but the reaction from the work that you've done because it went out like before right yeah we did a d teaser last week yeah 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 mm -hmm. so, so in the last week then the reaction has been very well and you mentioned not just from locally but around the country too yeah we're going to talk through maybe with our federal partners on how to um, use the approach that we've been taking to communicate the 988 lifeline which is very different than other states because of, of, for a lot of reasons one of them being that Oklahoma has been ready for this change for a really long time. We've been building pieces of that comprehensive crisis system for, for years. And with 988, we just were able to put it all together because of the, the support that we've had from our legislature and the governor's office in terms of uh, funding for the system's pieces over the last few years. Historic investments every year uh, for the last three years. It's been 
amazing. Yeah. So I when when, um, when Ashley reached out and was like, he's going to come on the podcast and be the final part. I was like, great. I you know I met you once a long time ago, uh, and I jokingly said I said you're probably one of the best dressed people I've ever met because <laughs> every time I see a photo of you or something you you know you take pride in your appearance, which you know it's. I, I I do like to think that I do, but I'm like I don't have the energy to dress that way all the time. So I commend you on that. Uh, and and I remember you and another colleague of yours stood up in front of our loyal class uh, a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. for one of the projects, and that was kind of my first introduction to generally mental health in Oklahoma. From that moment, how, you know, a couple of years ago, how in your eyes and your role too has it developed to what it is now? Yeah, my. My interest in the field really comes from a personal perspective, too. Um, Finding my way into this role right now has just been, I I pinch myself all the time. So having my own anxiety, depression, mental health struggles over the years, and then also, you know, facing addiction issues in college and um, in high school, it has... I didn't know, did not know where to start, where to go, as most people do, and especially not talking about it, not talking about the challenges and the um, the struggles that people, most people, uh, um, are faced with every day. And so I started my career in the um, homeless population, working with the homeless folks. It wasn't really something that I thought that I was going to ever do, um, but it was a job, and I had. Um, pursued a degree in psychology at UCO. And it was just like something that I um, felt like was the next right step. And that opened my eyes to so many things. Uh, my job was to outreach and engage homeless people because uh, 80% of homeless folks experience mental health challenges and addiction issues. And so helping them to navigate a fractured social system is impossible. And that's exactly what it was. Um, and, and still is in, in a lot of ways, fractured social services, healthcare services that are really hard to uh, engage with. And so that was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, I've been in the field for about 15 years, yeah. Um, Three of those, I did that direct care service, but just in the last 15 years, there's a lot of different changes to the coordination of care, to the innovation behind delivering services through technology has been a really big deal that Oklahoma's embraced. Um, And then just being able to to talk about it more. And the stigma associated with mental health and addiction has changed dramatically. And a lot of that has to do with COVID. And the the shared traumatic experience that we all had, the disruption in what it is that you think that uh, you should do on a daily basis, Uh, the anxiety, the fear, the isolation, the withdrawal, all of that was a shared experience that we all have a hyper awareness of how that affects you. And so if nothing else good, that we're all still talking about, you know, the importance of addressing mental health and addiction. So that to me in the last couple of years has been the biggest shift. And this is exactly how we, why we took the approach that we are taking with our 988 mental health lifeline is to number one, we call it the mental health lifeline versus the suicide and crisis lifeline intentionally. And that's to encourage people to reach out earlier on, which is the underscore of what the Super Bowl commercial is really telling us. Um, 79% of the people who die by suicide are males age 35 and older in Oklahoma. And so we had a, a, a real strategic mission in how that ad was portrayed and where we launched it. And so, um, 
yeah, being able to, to have these moments to build new services, to create the most comprehensive crisis response system in the nation is, um, is a dream come true because it's so, so needed so many places, but to be able to do it here in Oklahoma and be the leader in a health space, it's really different. It's a really different approach to to how we usually think about ourselves. Yeah. You mentioned going to UCO to do... um to do psychology degree. Yeah. Why? What was the What was the decision to go and to pursue psychology um, leaving high school? So it wasn't my initial thought. Um, I'm from Lawton. Uh-huh. Um, I like to describe myself as a survivor from Lawton. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Uh, it's a rough place to grow up. Yeah. Um, there's not been one day, or I'm sorry, not one year during my junior high and high school year that I didn't go to a funeral of somebody who um, was a friend because of Lawton, uh, the environment. It's a, a lot of people don't know that Lawton has one of the most gang-infiltrated cities in the nation, the third highest gang-infiltrated city in the nation, and there's a lot of theories as to why. Um, but the reality is, is that gang violence, drugs, addiction, um, all of that impacted my my folks that I went to school with. And so they would die. People would die of overdose or gang violence. And it was very traumatic. So I had a mission, which was to get out of Lawton and never come back. Um, my parents still live in Lawton. So of course I've still, I got to run one of the the mental health agency in Lawton for a year um, to, to kind of reorient myself to Lawton. And it's not changed. It's actually gotten more challenging to live there. And so when I got a scholarship opportunity to UCO to be a leader, I was like, okay, yes, I'm going there. Edmund, something completely different. Opposite of Lawton, if you will. But what I found was that wasn't true. Edmund had its own challenges. And that's where I even went through a realization of my own addiction and mental health challenges um, was in Edmond of all places. I was able to circumvent it all the way through Lawton. Um, but... When I got to Edmond, drugs were something that I was really interested in, and uh, it got addicted yeah. to drugs and to, as a coping mechanism for my mental health that I wasn't addressing. And so, um, that is that first year of college where I went through my addiction and really scary moments of my life, where um, I thought the world would be a better place without me. Um, that was where my interest in psychology came. Once I was on the other side of that, um, I was like, I need to do something, some self-reflection for sure, some continued self-growth, but like I have a mission. Like why is, why is this um, so distant? Why is this so challenging for people to accept? And so I've been on a kind of personal exploration to help all of us figure out um, how to better embrace this parts. Yeah, we just don't ask, right? Like, especially in guys. Mm-hmm. We don't, and I think, you know, it's a lot more common now for people to say, you know, I'm going to therapy, I have a therapist, and especially, you know, leaders and CEOs, and, uh, you know, I was a friend of mine posted something on LinkedIn, and, you know, and he said the hardest thing about um, being in this positioning is, is being a leader of others, yeah. and, like, that's the most stress that he's, you know, it's the hardest job he's ever had, and it makes sense, and, and over the years, you know, we've just kind of 
you know, men and women in leadership have just not talked about it, right? They've just come home and there's like, oh, I got to cook dinner for the kids, so I've got to go take the kids, to, you know, to football practice or whatever it is. There's always something that just kind of shelves it, right? Or pushes it away, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's sadly, if it comes to a point, it's never a good thing, right? It usually comes to a breaking point, something right. you know, life defining happens. But you know, now with the mental health number and you know nine eight nine eight eight and all of the other stuff is more socially acceptable and people feel more comfortable to come forward and reach out to a therapist. You know, I just I just need to sit down and chat. Like, mm-hmm. why am I the way that I am? <laughs> right? Because some of us, you know, might go back to your parents and well, it's the way you are because that's the way your dad was. Well, right. why is that? And you know, you, yeah. you could go down the rabbit hole. But it's having that, you know, that initial, yeah, it's okay for me to ask, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, I, let's see, we did, I did marriage counseling with my wife before we got married. Um, but I, I personally haven't done, like, therapy. And now mm-hmm. talking to you in my head, I'm like, I probably should just go for a couple just to talk to <laughs> someone, just to figure out why I, yeah. why I am the way I am, right? Yeah. Why I fear certain things, why I don't fear other things. And yeah, it's super, it's scary to it to, varies, yeah. to look into yourself and yeah. to figure out what it is that um, drives you or um, what why you have you know challenges and fears associated with X, Y, and Z. And um, it's very cathartic to know yourself better and to know when you are triggered and when what things are not helpful to you and it's really important to come at it from a non-judgmental space too. And that's hard to do um, because at the end of the day, we all have a lot of challenges that we deal with and that are shared actually. Um, and holding a boundary and being able to um, take care of yourself and lo- to love yourself is really hard to do. And so you learn that with skills that you, by talking to professionals, whether it's therapy or whether it's just, um, you know, some type of other support service, Self-care is a critical piece, which yeah. we learned through the pandemic, too, is like you've got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And, and other people like, you know, the, you mentioned so many different ways that there are so many different ways to take care of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. That you don't just have to use the phrase love yourself, because I'm sure there's people listening that are like, I love myself. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> or, you know, or, but for others, you know, you, you phrase it different ways just then. But, you know, it might be just going playing golf on the weekend with your buddies. Yeah. Right. Or just going as easy as it sounds, going for a walk in the yeah. sun. If it comes out in Oklahoma every now and then, <laughs> uh, you know, it. The mind is such a fascinating thing, yeah. but it's also super complex, right? Yep. And it's it's amazing how certain things in the limited knowledge I have of doing one psychology class in school, <laughs> that how how things affect us and we don't realize that until maybe years and years, maybe decades later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially your environment, it's a crucial piece to it too. The people you surround yourself with um, definitely influence your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior. And so even recognizing a toxic relationship and being able to, to distance yourself from it or change your environment. It's hard to do. Um, very, very hard to do, but it is, it changes your headspace dramatically. Yeah. So you obviously, you know, you, you, you're in university, you're, you're going through your own battles and going through your own, you know, and you couldn't be probably studying a better thing to go through it yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm basically like I'm having a degree on working on my own mental health. <laughs> uh, where does it progress from then? And you, you mentioned going into, you know, working in, in the um, homeless housing to, you know, area, like how does that how does that just show up? You're like, hey, this is the first job I got to take it, and it, it just develops into. This. That's kind of how it worked for me. Super fortunate. Yeah, it was. I didn't know exactly what I needed to do. I thought that in order to pursue uh, 
a career in mental health, I would have to be a therapist. And so like I was on that mindset and in that track. Um, the first job that was offered or that I heard about in the mental health space was at the community mental health center. Um, and you could have a bachelor's degree and I definitely needed to get a job, um, after college and I wanted to use my degree. So I said yes to it. And, you know, learned from that moment on all of the different ways in which people work in the mental health space. Um, you know, and I started my um, degree program as an OU to pursue a license, a mental health licensure, and really early on in that process realized that that was not going to be my place in this world. Um, and a, a lot of the ways that I came to realize that was working at the homeless shelters and seeing that advocacy and kind of elevating like the the issues and and challenges that people experience that are oftentimes silenced or ignored um, was my skill set. That was where my purpose was, and so I love therapists. They're great. I'm I'm so glad that I realized before I went all the way through that that I was not going to like that and um, and and that wasn't going to be my role. But I had uh, this perspective. So going through it and getting my master's while I was working there was really helpful to fine tune that skill set of advocacy. And so I helped develop a nonprofit organization serving um, gay youth in Oklahoma City. And because that was also part of my journey, learning that to love myself despite my sexual orientation was a big deal. Um, and, and leaning into and loving that part about myself and disclosing that in powerful moments um, was able to then get the attention of some advocate work at the state level. And so a job posted at the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services 13 years ago, and I applied and got it and saw my, my, my perspective was blown up in terms of the fractured social systems and the ways in which systems don't connect or interact. And how can anybody, it's amazing that anybody gets any service or treatment. These are siloed bureaucratic things are just not helpful. And so that became my mission is to, to figure out a way to do it. And I've worked in a variety of different roles at the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, now sitting in a space where my job primarily consists of interacting with the legislature. So really to, to help make those policy changes, to help um, advocate at different ways to invest in the infrastructure and now also to promote um, how wonderful of a job that we're doing and to get other people on board with it. It's just, yeah, I can't believe this is my job. It's, it's, well, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's brilliant, right? Like it's, you know, it, that we have those moments, right? You know, if you'd have gone someone to come back to you in high school and said, you'll be doing this, you're like, no, no way. there's no yeah. way, right? Yeah. It's just amazing how we get, you know, how our life journeys go and the turns we take and, you know, the, the places we end up and the passions that we have. And then mm -hmm. you, like I said, you truly find your place and mm -hmm. thankfully you, you figured out what you didn't want to do, yeah. you know, <laughs> and so you're not wasting time going down that path. Yeah. Um, but talk, talk to me about kind of like the last, I guess, 
probably, I don't know, 12 to 18 months of when 988 is a thing. And then you're building, you know, with the team in Oklahoma, how do we launch this in Oklahoma? How do we make this? Because you did mention communication is so different now. Mm-hmm. And, and also you have other departments asking you, how do you do this? Because they're going to learn from you all around the country. Yeah. So clearly you've done a good job of it. You know, it's no surprise <laughs> that social media is generally the way where everybody's at. <laughs> so, yeah. But from, from your eyes, kind of take, take me through that. You know, we got plenty of time to talk about it in depth. So. Yeah. Just excited to know, you know, the ins and outs and, and how it really came about and the decisions you made that ultimately ends on you having a Super Bowl ad, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big deal. Um, and it just happens to be that we're recording on this day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm just excited to know from your eyes and your position how the last 12 to 18 months has happened and how this has evolved. You know, it's it's different. It kind of depends on where you're sitting at in the last 18 months. If it's, you know, talking with other states and preparing how to do it, you would uh, just think that nobody was prepared or ready to go. Um, and so the anxiety of even trying to shift in this way, um, the, the states themselves have had three years to prepare, three or four years to prepare for this. Um, but, you know, the way in which this the mental health agency in every state is structured and where it sits politically and all of the, you know, um, attention and resources that are attributed to them is different. And it's, it just, it just so happens that we had a lot of the right people in the right seats at the right time over the last few years. And then, you know, so that our, our launch was more successful and the, the system that we built behind that, um, is, is comprehensive enough. And so over the last 12 months and, and thinking through, how are we going to communicate this? Um, it's, there's a lot of tension because even in, even though we're one of those states that is the most ready, we still have fear and anxiety about what if this doesn't work. And so, my one parameter that the commissioner Carrie Slatton Hodges gave me was, we need to wait until after the launch of the actual call line. I said, okay. That makes sense. Um, so she, she, we waited for maybe like two weeks before we really hit the ground running. We did a lot of like preparations. We, you know, identified social media influencers who we could partner with. We developed a brand. We th- thought through the strategy on how that would look and feel and what we wanted it to, to portray, um, which was opposite of what other states were doing and, and kind of like the, the federal toolkit of communications was, was saying, even, even from their perspective, they were even more nervous and anxious about the launch and were telling states to wait a year before you tell anybody. And I was like, that's not happening. We, what is it? It's 800 and something people, right? Yes. That is not happening. It's not saving any lives. No. And still to this day, you will hear some of the reverberations of that. It's like, yeah. We're nervous. I'm like, I get it, but this is a great thing. It is, a, and we've seen, you know, doubled the amount of expectations that we could in terms of the people who've reached out. I think this last statistic, uh, when we talked about it last week, was like over 20,000 people have called already, 5,000 text messages, and we've dispatched a 1,000 le- uh, mobile crisis teams. And so that's just another le- layer of the system and our comprehensive approach. So either you can call the warm line component of it and just talk to somebody because you're sad at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's all you need. And for 92% of the people who call, that's all they need is someone to listen to them and to, to connect with them. And if you need more than that, we, we can provide 
intervention over the phone. Um, but if you need connection to a local treatment provider, they do that too. Or if that's not enough and you are experiencing a crisis moment, we dispatch a team of individuals, uh, a person with lived experience with mental health and addiction, which is something that our state has embraced fully um, for several years. And one of the leaders in that, um, using a peer recovery support specialist in our model and putting them strategically across the entire workforce, it just makes a lot of sense. It is the literal beacon of hope that you want to tell somebody about and what better way to hear it from somebody who's walked the walk. Um, so they, they go out, they provide the service, and if they need, if you need more than that, uh, we have another la layer. And Oklahoma was really smart. I mean, we like I said, when I said we've been thinking about for a while, we really have. Um, we changed a law in 2021, um, which allowed Oklahoma to have not so much police involvement with the mental health system. So in most states, if you are needing transportation to a psychiatric hospital, you have to go in the back of a police car, handcuffed. That doesn't make that any makes sense. No sense, right? It's a giant waste of police time as well. Yeah, right? and that's not what the police are trained to do. No. Like let's let's separate this out. Um, and so we changed a law to allow the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Service to be the vendor. And so either we do it ourselves or we contract it out. And so we've done a couple of different models um, over the first year. And so we've been doing this for a year, a little bit over a year. And for the most part, the state is co covered by a security company that we've hired and they do a fantastic job. And most of the time it's retired or off duty law enforcement which is so interesting because um, they want to contribute. They want to be part of the system, but they don't want to put you in handcuffs and put you in the back of their car like yeah. that. That's just, that's traumatic. It's re-traumatizing. Um, and that there's no other illness that you go to get treatment like a criminal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, all the states are clamoring on how did you all do this? And so when we, when I talk about the system and those mobile crisis teams, in some instances, those mobile crisis teams can take you to the hospital. Yeah. Not a lot of those instances need that because we're trying to provide the least restrictive environment by giving you the service that is tailored to your situation. But if they need to, they can take you to an urgent recovery center or a crisis center or one of our psychiatric hospitals. But we try to even go through all of those different layers before we go to the highest level of care. Because most, most of the time people think of, oh, you have a mental illness, an addiction issue, you go to the hospital. But there's so many steps between that moment and the hospital that could solve or satisfy whatever's going on. And so um, we've driven... 1.5 million miles in one year. So what we didn't expect was that so many more people would want that service. It makes sense, though. It's like it's a barrier to treatment is I have to call the police. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And so now my, you don't have to. Yeah, I don't want my and, neighbor seeing me get taken away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's um, it's been like it's just been so quick and so much change over the last few years and it all starts with 988 and getting that number out there is the most important thing on my list right now and our team's list and there's a lot of other things that are important but for me for sitting in the communication space I know that that, that will be 
a game changer. And it is. It already is being a game changer. So um, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the other thing, too, is, you know, you've got the, um, you know, the, the what, so are we six months? How, how long has the line been open now? Like properly? This is uh, July 5th. July so 5th, six so or seven. So yeah. Let's say seven. Yeah. What, you know, what have you learned in that time then? What, you know, because people obviously now is more aware they're calling it through the help of, you know, however we're getting this number out there. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that, that you're evolving and learning and adapting to, you know, uh, is there any data? I'm sure now that we have data, right? It's been yeah. open for so you can actually pull data and, and analyze it mm-hmm. and then adapt. So is there any things that really stood out? Yeah. Um, our, our next big challenge, and this is for a lot of industry, but we're no, we're not immune to it is the workforce, right? So we've got, we've ramped up our programs. We've ramped up our services significantly. And fortunately in Oklahoma, we've leaned into paraprofessionals um, significantly over the course of, you know, the development of our system. And so being able to be more flexible, even with engaging people in this field, I think is our is something that we've learned pretty quickly. And so partnerships with universities. And um, so when I talk about the peer recovery support specialist, it's such a critical role for a variety of reasons, but also it is an entry point into the system, maybe even before you graduate, before you get a degree, before you do anything, because your lived experience is your value. So if you've had this, which we know so many more people have had experience with addiction and mental health, especially in Oklahoma, um, getting, letting people know that when you're, you know, going through school or um, trying to decide what you want to do with your life, this could be one of those things. And it doesn't have to be, you have to go through this peer certification and you have to be a therapist and you have to be a doctor and you have to do this. You can do this role and be a contributor significantly in that role. And if that's what you want to do. So learning how, thinking through how to solve for the workforce demand and the workforce shortage is definitely something that we were trying to be creative and out of the box thinking. Um, But yeah, just not, not knowing where to start too, I think is a, has been a big challenge. And so how do we get more people um, aware of and thinking about even, even the closest people to me will text me and say, I have this issue. I have this friend. I have this thing going on. What should I do? I'm like, 988. <laughs> that number I've been yelling at you. Why months. is this? Hello, what am I not doing right? I'm at the tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> 988. Always. Yeah. Always 988. Because <laughs> that is, don't think about it. Right. Call 988 and they will help. Like, what's going on? Oh, you residential substance abuse treatment? We got you. Yeah. We got you, no matter what it is. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Instead of having the noon tornado bell, we should just have it shout 988. Yeah. It, right? But I have, to, yeah. I have to also calm down because 911 didn't happen overnight. Sure, you're right. It took a long time. Stop, drop, and roll. I, I, I want it to be synonymous with that. So I have three kids, uh, twins that are seven, and then a little five-year-old. And they are the biggest 988 champions. I mean, they they tell their friends. We have coloring books. We have calendars. We have a rap song. Like we have all these different ways to communicate that important number. And so when I was walking in to do the Rotary Oklahoma City Downtown Rotary, my kid, my littlest kid, Achafa, goes to St. Luke's, and that's where they hold it. And I was walking in, 
and he's on the playground. He goes, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go tell some people about 988. And he was like, oh, that's so cool. And then one of the kids said, what's 988? And he said, oh, it's the number that you call or text when you're mad or sad. And I was like, amazing. That is, that is what I need to be telling people. <laughs> mad or sad, call 988. Yeah. And, um, and I shared that story when I went in front of the Rotary. And it was just, it's a, and I keep remembering, I just need to figure out a way to, to make that my message. Because it's simple, simple, short, and sweet. Yeah. The hardest thing about what you do, right, is because you have to change the message to fit all of the different demographics, yeah. right? Like yep. you said, the Super Bowl one obviously was targeted at males, yep. 30 to 35, you know, or 30 over 35. But, like, you're right. Like, it's such an issue. And, and I I, I think I should shared this on the previous part that we did. So my high school back in the UK and Wales, we had, like, a, a period of about a lot of kind of high school suicides in mm. my town as well and my high school was part of it and and, it, and when this was uh, let's see oh, 05, oh, 06, oh, 07 type you know we're talking 15 years ago um, there was nothing they came and spoke to us in class and maybe said like talk to us if you have any issues right mm. you're 15, 16 years old the last person you're going to go to is one of your teachers right you know yeah. uh, and just to, you know and I thankfully you know it it, it was such a weird time in our town too but you know I'm looking at you know and I've only really thought about it since doing these podcasts with you guys because we didn't think about it back then mm -hmm. right you're just like you know this has happened it's traumatic okay there's nothing we can do about it and now we don't you know now we're all going to university and it was such a such a strange time but yeah. everyone remembers that time right? yeah um, you know but you you're, you've got to communicate it to kids to you know because Everyone has access to a phone now and seeing stuff and make, you know, probably anxiety has probably gone through the roof or mm -hmm. has gone through the roof. Yeah. Right? It's skyrocketed because of social media, yep. um, you know, and other avenues. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you love what you do because I'm sure that you, <laughs> you work a lot harder than your, your quote average nine to five. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there anything, um, obviously, in, 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 you know, talking about the last six months, what are the, what's the, some of the things that maybe have not been a surprise but been maybe more effective than you thought they would be effective. Mm -hmm. And obviously you've gone around and there's different ways that you, you have, you know, communicated this message and this number compared to other states. But is there anything else that kind of, you're just like, yeah, well, this was awesome. We're super proud of this. Or, I mean, what stands out? So when we talk about like activations, um, we're trying to engage different populations, like you're saying. And one of the things that we did last year that we'll continue to kind of expand upon is like local municipalities. How do we have a conversation? How, how do we create an event? Is it is it creating our own event or is it like adding value to an event that already exists? So we did a lot of tabling festivals and being part of state fairs and, you know, local county fairs and uh, just trying to to get out there, and one of the one of the things that we did in three different um, cities was do a, a mural, and then like have an event around this mural and a, like a ribbon cutting or a groundbreaking type of situation. And the mural is also a different strategy, right? Because you can buy a billboard, but the billboard goes away. The mural. If it's placed in a strategic location, downtown Lawton, for example, we did one in Lawton, we did one in Ponca City, and we did one in Norman. And um, that was a, another really creative approach to, to having a conversation with the community and um, having a, a bringing art 
to something that um, has is just beautiful in and of itself. And so one of the one of the places that we did was Norman, and we partnered with a brewery to do this. And that was another quite like mental health and addiction. Why would you be doing that? I was like, why wouldn't we? This is where we need to be. Right. Yeah, this is where the root of the problem starts yeah. for some people, right? Yeah. yeah. So we went from that to, you know, coasters that we would, you know, disseminate to different bars and restaurants. And it was like, why? I'm like, because this is where I need to put the number. So like those approaches have been um, really weird or really out of the box and like, um, really proud of those. And so we also have a partnership with Google and we look at all of the different analytics around demographics, what people are searching. So it's the stuff that's already used anyway to, to sell you something, but we're using it for good. And like, where's digital behavior really low? Well, we might not need to invest so much in, you know, paid advertisement around, you know, the, the internet or your social media stuff in those locations. Let's, let's pivot. And so we, um, gas station nozzles we bought up a bunch of those and put the the number on it and messaged when your gas tank's not the only thing that's filling empty Super. Simple, i mean right? <laughs> yeah yeah and so that's been really great too like yeah. having having those different strategies and and to communicate a message um we'll probably see this next year coming up a, a focus on um, rural america okay. um, because we haven't had that uh, as much as i'd like to see and then also um, kind of product placement, if you will. Like, what are, what are some of the different things that people are already watching and doing? And then how do we just add, like, a 988 undertone there um, just as part of it? We yeah. partnered with a, a local film. Um, it's called um, What Rhymes With Reason. Okay. It was a locally produced film. And we put a lot of the product placement of 988 and the imagery um, of the number itself in a high school setting um, in that film. So we'll yeah. do a little bit more things just like that. Just posters in the background yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's simple stuff, right? Because yeah. it's, it's stuff that's already got eyeballs on it. Like, you know, people who spend money on billboards, like no one's looking at billboards, right? Yeah. They're looking at their phone. And yeah. I know you have to do it in some situations yeah. to take a box to say we do do traditional yeah. media. Yeah. And I'm sure it's hard for you sometimes to sell that, the ideas that you have, right, up the food chain, mm -hmm. you know, because there's generations and older people and social media is still a hard sell Yeah. for some of us that me and you, obviously, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. We believe in it because it yeah. works. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that's been hard as well. But like you said, after six months and seven months, you see the impact, right? Mm -hmm. You see different ways and it's super creative and every day for you must be different because you're always thinking of a new way to target a different demographic. Yeah. So. This this next, so the social media influencer piece has been really exciting. And, and what's surprising to me is that there's not really like a company or, you know, a, a lead agency, even Oklahoma and then beyond who have figured out how to do that work and, and, and really leverage people's followings to sell a message and, and to do some good with it. I mean, yeah, you can sell a product and people figure that out, but how do I help normalize something that um, is challenging to talk about in the first place? Yeah. And so that's been really surprising and we've had so much success with it and we have another kind of approach to anti-stigma which is our kind of substance use focused campaign and it's called okay i'm ready 
okay, I'm ready to, you fill in the blank. I'm ready to start my journey to recovery. I'm ready to be more, you know, um, active in kind of communicating these ideas with my policymakers, my local level, things like that. Um, but that approach to that message, the next evolution for us in that space is like a harm reduction. So there's a lot of people across the nation who are dying by overdose unintentionally. Um, and so how do we speak to people who use drugs and encourage them to um, have naloxone? How do we encourage them to test their drugs before they use them? Um, and so we're, we're going to put out a bunch of vending machines, uh, I think 75 vending machines <laughs> based on the the high-risk populations, zip code, we have a lot of data, and so we're going to strategically place them there in bars and, and restaurants and things who, who would want it, but make it look and feel like it's something that you want. Like, we're going to do a product launch with this campaign. We are hyping up having naloxone. Everybody should have it, just like Tylenol. Like, it's something that you should just have on you because yeah. you never know when you can save a life. So... Well, I mean, I don't know what that is. So, please, uh, sorry for being, you know, not understanding, but I might be like some people listening. What is that? What is that? Where you just the lock? Naloxone. So it's an um, it's an opioid overdose medication. It's okay. a medication. It's like a nasal spray. Got gotcha. you. So super effective, super quick. Yeah. Okay. Like we, people sometimes think it's like that Pulp Fiction movie <laughs> yeah. where they stick it in the heart <laughs> and you come back to life. That's not the way it, do, it works. You stick okay. it up your nose, actually, and you come back yeah. to life. But and the, so, the effect is the same, just <laughs> yeah. not the act. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that's what it is. Is yeah. just having that on you, and um, it it's something that you'll you'll actually see legislatively this year too. A lot of interest to help prevent the fentanyl mm. um, crisis. And what are what are some of the ways that we can at least equip people with a life saving tool in their possession? So whether that be requiring it for hospitals, requiring it at schools, requiring it um, when people leave jail, things like that. There's a lot of bills out there right now that are kind yeah. of trying to address that from a policy level. And so that's going to go alongside you moving into rurally as well. Kind of just part like kind of goes hand in. Hand hand with that as yes. well as you know hey obviously we've got 988 we need to move that really more yeah. as well as the product that you're going to launch in yeah. all these places so yeah. it's going to be a busy year <laughs> yeah there's a lot of work to do yeah um, but like I said you, you sounds like you love what you do right? yeah you're, you couldn't be in a better place so yeah that's really really special it's awesome uh, for people listening anything tips tricks other than the number and the website I'll link below what else do people need to know what have we missed? Have we missed anything? Know, probably. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we've. I think it's. We're forty-five minutes in. We dropped some, okay. Dropped okay, some good, good knowledge in this. So, All right. Um, I'll put the link for people listening. I'll put the link in the description to um, O D H M A S. O D M H S A S. There you go. We would change our name one day. Nine eight eight dot com would be great. You know, but obviously the number is just nine eight eight. It's that simple. And uh, what's your social? Do you want to share that? Uh, sure. It's Holt Hayes. Okay. H-O-L-T-H-A-Y-E-S on all the things. If people are listening and just think, you know what? He sounds like he loves what he does. Well, he does. So do. if you want to reach out and get into the job into the job space and you might need help, volunteers yeah. or people listening, thinking, hey, we have an event that we'd love to have 98 to come out to. We have a mural space. We'd love yep. to have you. Um, whatever the idea is, um, I'll put some You want a vending machine, yeah. A vending machine, whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, we'll put some information in the description and you can reach out and uh, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.